Welcome to the Highway Church Podcast. We're excited for you to join us today. To find out more about us, visit highway.com.au. Last 18 months, uh, we've been prophesying, declaring increase. And of course, we've seen that in so many ways and different measures of, of increase, not only individually, but as a church. And, uh, you know, it's been amazing. This year, we've been preaching out of three areas, my faith, our family, and his future. And uh, this is the third message I'm going to bring on his future this morning, because I'm challenged about the church going forward. I'm challenged about, you know, the church getting stronger and stronger uh, in the Western world. And uh, I want to build a platform that my grandkids will actually launch from. You know, that they won't have to be a generation that resurrects the church because we let it die. No, that's not going to happen. We're going to build something where they're going to rise above and go one more and flourish and uh, see the kingdom of God expand and increase as it was always designed to do. So I've been praying a lot um, about, you know, the church. particularly the church in the West. And uh, I've been reading the book of Acts, you know, over and over and over and over and trying to find out how is it that this, this uh, group of, of ragtag, you know, believers against all the odds, against the Jewish faith that was dominant in that time, against the Roman Empire that was absolutely brutal against Christianity, against all the pagan gods that, you know, were all around at that time, these guys flourished. The Church of Jesus Christ turned the known world upside down through huge persecution. Actually, persecution was the vehicle that delivered the gospel message to the four corners of the earth. Church was very successful in Jerusalem. And because of that, persecution rose. Because of persecution, they had to get out of there. And they were scattered all over the world taking the gospel. I call persecution the the uber of the early church. That was a joke. Come on, I thought that was fantastic. I'm putting that down and I thought, I thought they're going to run with this. This is going to be one of my defining hours. I hope it wasn't because it was pretty ordinary. But I tell you, they were growing in their thousands. Jerusalem, and it caused that problem. But why did they grow? That's what's on my heart. That's what I've got to get my head around. Why did they grow? Under all of that, why did they grow? And I want to find the key elements that, that caused the church to grow and grab a hold of those and see if we can't, you know, flourish with the same elements
We know that in Acts chapter 2, Jesus had told the disciples to go and wait for the promise of the Father, which we know is the Holy Spirit in verse 4 of Acts 2. It says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Then Peter, in verse 14, stood up and began to preach the gospel. From verse 14, we go to verse 41, and in that period of time, 3,000 were added to the church. 3,000 from the time Peter began to preach. What were the elements of that church, the early church? Well, have a look at that. The first one I thought as I read the, the book of Acts over and over was, was that they believed. They believed. They became believers, if you like. Verse 37, it says here that, you know, when, they, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They were all Jewish people. They heard this message that Messiah had come. And that's a good message except for the fact that you were the guys that killed him a few weeks ago. You with me? That's a big pill to swallow. And they hear this message about all of these Jewish people hear this message and some believed, some didn't. Some refuse to accept that we would never do that to our Messiah. We would never do that. He hasn't come yet. But others heard this message and something cut their heart where they went, whoa. They already had their religion, but they discovered that it was the Messiah that was sacrificed for their sin. The knowing that the Son of God came to earth and sacrificed his life so that you and I could be free from sin, free from that separation from God because of that sin in our lives. You know the gospel message, many of you. He paid that price by taking my sin on himself, and now I'm free for that. I'm free because of that. These people were very familiar with sin, okay? They were very familiar. It was a, it was a common thing. They made sacrifices all the time for different sins in their life. The high priest once a year would make a, a sacrifice you know, for the, for the whole people and individually you could go to the temple and you could take a turtle dove, you could take a lamb, you know, and that would be sacrificed for your sin. That was their practice. They were, they were very familiar with that. They knew the, they understood the whole sin sacrifice concept where you could take this little turtle dove, this beautiful little turtle dove, and hold it in your hands and then... What about little Lambsy? Take little Lambsy to the altar. Come on, Lambsy, little tail flapping. 
coming up to the altar, come on, without a blemish, pure white, this beautiful little lamb. We've seen it everywhere. Lay it over the knee, get the knife and and drain the blood. See, that affects some people, but I'm a third-generation butcher. doesn't worry me. I'm thinking, put it in the pot. But there's a lot of animal, you know, lovers out there, and I love animals too, but you've got to add salt. <laughs> but they were very familiar with the, the sacrifice concept, you know. But imagine, imagine looking in the face of that turtle dove or little lambs there and know that You've got to die because of my failure. We've got, to, we've got to take your life because of my lack of discipline. And they were cut to the heart when they realised that the Son of God, who was sinless, blameless, was slaughtered on a cross for my wrong, for my wrong. That's got to do something to your heart, folks. That's got to cut you to the heart when you understand, if you really believe that Jesus Christ died for your sin, that's got to affect you. You can't brush that over. You can't let those words just roll out and disappear. No, no, that, that does something here. They had a great understanding of sacrifice and sin, but not today. We don't. In the Western world, we don't really get the whole sin thing. As a matter of fact, we don't even like mentioning the S word. We don't like to think that there could be sin in our life. Well, really? Me? I preached the first week about the Western church. It's like the church in Laodicea in Revelation. In verse uh, Revelation 3.17, it says, You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. That was the accusation that Jesus had against them. And you know what? What a blessing that is. What a blessing it is to be born in this country. Amen? You know, how favoured are we to be born in this place? What a privilege. I mean, I don't want to live anywhere else. I love it here. But it doesn't help me believe that I need a saviour. Are you hearing me today? Wonderful. This country, the way we have it, the churches we have it, everything, I love it. It's fantastic. It's awesome. But it doesn't help me believe that I need a saviour. Doesn't work with me on that. You with me? Do you believe without God, you're lost? I mean, think about that for a moment. 
Do you believe that without God, that encounter where you, you know, had that, that, that where God became real to you and you discovered God, without God, you would be lost today. And if you believe that, then you've got to know that how, how important are you out of billions of people that God has put his finger on you and said, now's your time. Wow. Do you believe that you owe him everything? Because we're going to have an offering later. So I'll throw that in. Do you believe that the way you live is important? See, if you believe that Christ died for your sins, if the very thought of that cuts you to the heart, the one so blameless, one so pure, had to pay the price for my failings, How important is it that from this day on I live to honour his name? Do you believe that, number two today, that you can trust God? We all know you can trust God, but do you trust God? Do you trust God? Verse 44, 45, it says here that all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave it to anyone who had need. Gave it to anyone who had need. This was another element that made the early church flourish because they, they genuinely trusted God. They trusted him. They didn't just say it, they demonstrated it every day in their lives by being generous to all those, anyone who was in need. See, the, the worldly concept is that if I give something away, then I lose. You know, if I give this to you, then I don't have it anymore. So I miss out. No, no, no. The, the, the biblical concept of that is that as we sow, we reap. Okay, there's a biblical concept to it, that, that as I am generous, as I'm prepared to, to meet a need of, of someone else, I trust him that he is faithful to his word. We sang about his promises today that I won't lose. I can't lose. He won't let it happen because my trust is in him. See, when you do that, the worldly concept of it is of no value. Now, obviously, they didn't sell everything and go and live under a bridge, right? It wasn't about, it, it, you know, a religion of poverty. That's not what they, they, they were talking about here. But when there was a need, there was this generosity of heart. 
to put their hand in their pocket and they enjoyed being part of the answer. It's like, wow, God has done so much for us. What, you have a need? Hey, come on, let's, let's put the hat around. Let's put it, come on. We, we can't have someone lose when we've, when we've won so much. Is that fair? Not about giving it all away and then, you know, dying of starvation. That's stupid. No, it's about allowing this favour and this blessing and this abundance that's been so overwhelmingly poured upon my life. Now I can be a blessing. Now I can make a difference. Now I can make a statement about who my God is by the generosity of my heart. It was what defined Christianity. See, all the other religions, they all had their thing, right? It's like they'd look after each other. You're in the family. You're in that, you know, that sect or that, that group of people, and we look after each other. But Christianity was anyone, anyone who was in need. You don't have to be a Christian. Do you know how many Hindu kids that this church feeds? Hindus, Muslims. We feed them, love them, educate them. We don't convert them. If they want Jesus, absolutely, but that's not part of the deal. We'll feed you if you convert. Amen? Anyone who has need, that defined them by their generosity. That's why Christianity was so attractive. In a pagan world where it was all about me, myself, my own, look after yourself, don't get these people that were kind, people that were generous. You know the first hospitals were, were, were birthed out of Christianity. Before the Christians got together and said, we've got to make a difference, we've got to help these sick people. There were no such thing as hospitals. Orphanages were the same. No such thing as orphanages until the Christians got together and said, we can't let these kids get lost. We can't let these kids, you know, be, be in danger or damaged. They made a way for them out of their own pocket. But to find them, it's Christianity. You know, when the plague hit Rome, all of the pagan doctors they got out of there. <laughs> the Christian doctors stayed. Some of them died. But many lived and there were thousands who came to the faith because they thought, well, these people would put their life on the line for us? I want to know the God they serve. The church grew because... People could see that the Christians live what they preached. They live what they preached. It was the Christians that abolished slavery in England and America. And you look at every care ministry in this country, the vast majority were founded by Christians. All through this country. I've said it before, you'll never see a Hindu soup kitchen. Never seen one. You've never seen a, you know, a Buddhist house for the homeless. You don't see it. Why? Because 
That's what defines Christianity, that generosity, because we trust him. That it's okay for me to be generous because I know he's got my back. I can't outgive God. Amen? One of the big things in society today is women's equality. You know, it started with Christianity. Men and women created equal under God. It was, there's never been inequality with gender in the body of Christ. Different functions, but never inequality. And it's so important that we understand this in the Western church. It's the only way that we can truly demonstrate that we trust God is when we're generous. It's the only way we can do it. We don't have to trust him for healing because there's a doctor on every corner. You don't have to really be praying for God to heal me, otherwise I'm dead. Not in this country. You don't have to trust him for that. That's a good thing. But it limits us when we're talking about trusting God. The only way we can demonstrate, the only way we prove we really trust God is to be generous to anyone who is in need. I'm sure in those communities in the Bible here, and there would have been generous people, but Christianity was defined by their generosity. The third element was that they lived it. They lived it. In verse 46, we see here that Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And you have to ask the question, did any of them have a job? I mean, it's like their whole life was consumed with this Christianity thing. Did any of them have a job? I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did, but it, it, it became so much a part of who they were. It didn't matter whether it was at work. It didn't matter whether it was at home. It didn't matter wherever it was. It became a part of, of who they were. They lived it every day. They gathered together this encounter that they had with God, this understanding that God has paid the price for my sin. Now they could live life to the full. They lived it every day, house to house, hanging with the brothers. Can't get enough of it. Can't get enough of it. Why? Because it's so good. So awesome. So free. That weight lifted off my shoulders. Can't get enough of it. And it says that they enjoyed the favour of the people. Maybe because they were just nice people to hang around. 
and went after something. They weren't nice to you because they wanted something out of you. No, they were just so in love with God that everything else was a freebie. Everything else was a bonus. Everything else, people they mingled with, people in their street, people in their homes. They were just kind. They were just nice people to be around. They were so free themselves. They lived that. They were so thankful for this new life that they were kind to everybody. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 5, 14, 16. He said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. My goodness, do you know what? Do you know what he's done for me? Do you know what he saved me from? Generational dysfunction and brokenness. That I had the opportunity to stand in that whole chain of history and go, no, we're changing the course. Because I am set free. Now my generations will have that opportunity to be set free. And this life is so good, so good. I want it for everybody. I'm not keeping it to myself. That's a worldly concept. No, you give it away. You give it away. You give it away and it just keeps flooding back in and flooding back in. You live it every day. You know, when I gave my life to Jesus, nobody followed me up. No one followed me up. I was on the doorstep of that church every time it opened. Early. Little pastor's jab there. Early. What he's done for me. He deserves all my respect. He deserves all my honour. He deserves everything that I hold in my hands. He's worthy of that. I've had my ups and downs with church people like everybody else. but never lost my love and hunger for God all these 38 years since I became a believer. Because Christianity is not a part of my life. It is my life. It is my life. A lady this week sent me an email with this... uh, just a short video on it. And I found it incredibly realigning in my life. 
just want to share that with you. Can we have that video up on the screen? Let me finish with this uh, story. We go to China from time to time, and, and uh, uh, we train leaders. And this time, we brought up 22 leaders from the Hunang province, and they rode 13 hours on a train to get to a hotel that they came up two by two in these elevators as, so as to not draw any attention. And then they got to a hotel room, a little apartment uh, room. It's only about 700 square feet in the little living room, no air conditioning, hardwood floor, 22 sat there. I came in, and when you teach in China, you start at 8 in the morning, and you don't get done till 5 at night. You teach the whole day. They were sitting there, all 22 of them, and I looked around and I said, now, if we get caught, what will happen to me? They said, oh, you'll get deported in 24 hours and we'll go to prison for three years. I said, you're kidding. How many of you have been in prison for your faith? Out of 22, 18 raised their hands. I thought, no way. And I looked at them and I said, you, you 22 people, how many people do you oversee? Because they were all of these small group leaders, underground church leaders in the Hunang province. I said, how many, if you counted up all the people under your jurisdiction, how many would it be? And they counted them up and they said, little over 20 million. I said, what? See, we forget there's 1.3 billion people in China. This is crazy. Well, I had 15 Bibles and I passed them out. Obviously, seven didn't get them. And I said, let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 1 and we're going to read it. And just then, one lady handed hers to somebody next to her. And I thought, hmm, interesting. Well, we turned there anyway. And as we started reading it, I understood why she gave it away. She had memorized the whole thing. She just recited the whole chapter. When it was done, I went over to her at a break and I said, you, you, you recited the whole chapter. She says, oh, yes, I've memorized many chapters. I said, where did you memorize so many chapters? She said, in prison. She said, you have much time in prison. <laughs> so I said, but don't they confiscate the Bible? And she said, yes. So people bring in scriptures written on pieces of paper, and they bring it in. So I said, but then if they find that piece of paper on you, won't they confiscate that? She said, oh, yes, that's why you memorize it as fast as you can. Because <laughs> even though they can take the paper away, they can't take what's hidden in your heart. I thought, wow. Well, after three days, you fall in love with these people. And when it was done, I, I said, how can I pray for you? I'm going to go back to America. And you guys have been just so wonderful. How can I pray for you? They said, you know, Wayne, you guys can gather like this whenever you want to in America. We can't. Could you pray that one day we'll be just like you? And I looked at him and I said, I will not do that. Big incredulous eyes looked at me and they said, why? <laughs> I said, because you guys rode a train for 13 hours to get here. In my country, if you've got to drive more than an hour, people don't come. You sat on a wooden floor for three days. In my country, if people have to sit more than 40 minutes, they leave. You sat not only here for three days on a hard wooden floor, but you did it without air conditioning. In my country, if it's not padded pews and air conditioning, people don't often come back. In my country, we have an average of two Bibles per family. We don't read any of them. 
You hardly have any Bibles, and you memorize them from pieces of paper. I will not pray that we become like, uh, you become like us, but I will pray that we become just like you.